If you just tuned in and thinking, what does BYOB stand? Let me tell you, it's not what you think. This podcast is about developing your own brand, creating something within you, and most importantly, finding yourself. So with that said, let me invite my upcoming guest, who's a media skill coach, the founder of Hongbao Media, and the former anchor of CNBC. Please welcome Mr. Mark Laudy. And welcome to this episode of Being Your Own Brand. And welcome to the Bond Sports Show. Hi, Mark. How are you? Good to see you, Aaron Jain. Well, uh, very well to see you as well. And uh, thank you so much for joining me for the podcast. And uh, as I said for the introduction, uh, that you've worked as a media and a communication mentor for more than 20 years now. And I need to begin with a very general question. So what got you interested in working as a mentor and uh, helping people in getting the right tools for communication? Well, um, you know, coming from the, the media, as a radio and television host, I guess you're always communicating. Yeah. Moreover, some people have a real knack for communication, while others don't. And this always comes through both in, you watch television, you see it, you know, some guests are just more high energy, they're more eloquent, they're able to nail their points really concisely, they're just a pleasure to watch. Others are equally expert in their subject matter. They're equally knowledgeable and they have a lot to contribute, but have a great deal of difficulty doing so. And so I've set about helping those, especially those who have difficulty in communicating, making sure that they are just as in the spotlight, if that's what they seek, or at least be just as clear and persuasive and influential in how they speak, even though they may not be endowed with those communications talents. Right. And as you said that you've been in this industry, and if I'm not wrong, you started your career at a really early age of 21 where you became uh, Australia's youngest radio current affair host for ABC Radio. And me being a 21-year-old myself, I'd love to know about this experience, whether it was overwhelming, because media industry stepping in front of a camera or being in front of the radio, it would have been overwhelming or somewhat intimidating. Talk to me about that experience. Well, I, I moved into the media immediately after my studies. Uh, right. And a lot of that had to do with the amount of uh, voluntary work that I did in local radio stations and so on. You know, media is a very practical field. Mm -hmm. And unlike being a doctor, for example, you can actually go and volunteer and, and be very hands-on right from the get-go. You in this day and age have that opportunity as well. You don't need to wait to be employed by a large media organization. You can start a blog or a podcast uh, on your own. So really that intimidation should no longer, uh, you know, hinder you from that. Now, uh, in this day and age, obviously, because everybody has that opportunity to um, to practice on their own, uh, you know, this is how you get found. This is how artists get found. You know, think of Justin Timberlake. He started yeah. his music career because mm -hmm. he was discovered through the, the channels that are now open for you. If he'd been alive uh, when I was your age, then uh, he would have had to go through the whole process of, you know, record company contracts and, and things like that. So you actually, no matter who you are or where you are, you have a far greater access to audiences than, than in years gone by. And therefore, it's incumbent on you really to discover ways that you can make communication work for you so that you can actually fully utilize these channels to your advantage. But at the same time, don't you feel that 
to some extent, uh, like let's say when you were 21 year, uh, year old and you, you worked in ABC radio. So they brushed up your skills, I'd say in a more professional manner compared to me, I'd say who's doing it individually. My skills won't be brushed by a professional in a professional manner. So don't you think that this, uh, this again is or may cause problems for a lot of people? Well, that's precisely why you would get yourself a coach. Yeah. <laughs> but it's certainly true that, you know, having external feedback yeah. uh, is very valuable from a trusted source. Um, in radio, which is where I started out, obviously, there was always the daily feedback from mm. viewers and listeners, right. you know, whether they liked your show or not, once a quarter or once a year, it would uh, reflect in the ratings, the radio ratings that traditional research companies undertook. Finding yourself a communications mentor is really important, but critically also, everybody has a different style of communicating. And so whoever your communications coach is should not tell you how you ought to communicate because that's how they would do it. Right. You know, what's important is that they teach you or they coach you in how to communicate based on your own style. Mm. In, in radio and television, we learn about that when you're a producer for, a, for an anchor. It's the producer who really controls the show. But the producer has to write for the anchor. If as a television producer, you can't hear your anchor say the things that you've written, then it's probably because you've written for your own communication style, not for that of your anchor. Mm. So uh, find yourself a coach who, whose opinions you trust and who is able to coach you in improving your own communication style rather than forcing you into somebody else's. Well, while talking about communication coach, I'd also need to add on that after ABC radio, you became, I'd say unstoppable. Then you worked on some of the biggest media companies like Mediacorp, uh, CNBC, Asia Pacific, uh, CNA, and many more companies. And of course, after that, in 2006, uh, you started your own company that was Hongbao Media. So, uh, and that again deals with crisis communication and media training for senior level executives. So when this company was set up or when you thought of building a company, was it something like that during your early stages of your career, you got some form of mentorship with, from someone? I mean, it had to be something around that. So was it something back of your mind that you thought that, okay, I have learned from someone. So it's my job or my, um, my ethical duty to help other people in getting rid of these communication barrier? Was it your early mentors who influenced you in setting up this company? Or was it something that you always saw that there's a potential in? Well, I left television because I was tired of talking about business and never actually doing any. Okay. Uh, you know, as a journalist, you have to understand that by definition, you're not supposed to have any commercial influence. You collect mm -hmm. a salary from your employer, but you're not supposed to have any contact, any contact with uh, the commercial world. You're there to observe it, not to take part in it. So I left CNBC in order to pursue that. Um, the, the motivation to coach individuals uh, was really an evolutionary stage. Many people who set out in business find that what they set out to do initially is not what they end up doing 10 or 20 years later. And that's entirely fine because as you evolve and as your business evolves, you end up discovering new opportunities anyway. Now that I am a communications coach and a Gallup certified Clifton Strengths coach, I found that the ability to have an impact on people, the ability to positively influence people, 
the ability to really help people is far greater than I ever had in radio or television. Clearly, I enjoy talking, and I, I certainly enjoyed my time in front of the microphone and in front of the camera. But now when I see, you know, for example, corporate chiefs, uh, true stories, you know, corporate chiefs who come to my office, they're CEOs of listed companies. In other words, they are now the face of the organization. They're now tasked with representing that organization to customers, to suppliers, to shareholders, the regulator, the public at large. And when I see how some of them really struggle because they're just not wired for communication, chances are they became CEOs who, you know, because of their technical expertise, uh, perhaps because of their management expertise, but fronting the media or, you know, taking part in panel discussions at the World Economic Forum or whatever it happens to be is actually secondary to why they became a CEO. And so seeing the, the ability to positively influence uh, the ability to really make a difference in people's lives. That was something that uh, came to me as a coach far greater than, you know, as a, as a TV presenter sprouting stocks news or as a radio current affairs show has. Right. But don't you think at the same time, it just posed a shift in your mindset? Because there are two separate things. The first thing is being in front of the camera or in front of the mind, uh, in front of the mic. There's a, there's a separate mindset for that. But at the same time, when you start something of your own or become a full-time entrepreneur, I'd say a full-time coach for you, the mindset would transition. And what was this transition like when you quit your job and then moved in setting up this company? Yeah. Well, I've always had a bit of an entrepreneurial streak, I'd have to tell you. Uh, it's just exercised in different ways. Uh, when I was in radio and television, you know, there, there were always new programs to conceive, new ways of hosting those programs, producing those programs. So it's really just a matter of how you aim your entrepreneurial mindset um, to now, rather than my own program, it's to my own company. So the leap from being a salaried employee to being an entrepreneur is possibly not as great as you think. Um, however, one of the things that you must be aware of as an entrepreneur as a salaried employee, perhaps be becoming an entrepreneur, is that entrepreneurship is not just a career choice. It's a lifestyle choice. Because now all of a sudden, you are the one who's responsible for hiring and firing staff, for winning customers and selling, for delivering what you've sold, for uh, technology investments that your company has to make right through to leave applications from your staff. I mean, the list goes on. As a CEO, you know, the joke is that you're the chief everything officer. And along with the rewards, the potential rewards of that comes with the risk that you bear because now you are responsible for all the salaries. You are responsible for paying the rent. You're responsible for keeping the lights on. Oh, and you're responsible for the actual service or product delivery. So because of the risks that entrepreneurship embodies, risks which you don't face as an employee. Uh, it is really, and because it is therefore a lifestyle choice, it's something that is actually a family decision rather than an individual one. That's often missed. You know, people say, oh, I'm going to become an entrepreneur. I'm going to become my own boss. Well, in truth, in essence, what you're doing is acquiring many bosses because every one of your customers is your boss. And you end up uh, having to 
ensure that whatever the lifestyle your family was used to while you were a salaried employee collecting a regular paycheck, that may not be quite so regular. And therefore, uh, it behooves you, if you do go down this track, to focus on the risk management aspects just as much as the upside, the opportunities. Uh, well thing you said about that entrepreneurship is a lifestyle, and I totally agree with it. I think before the podcast started, um, we were also talking about personal branding. That is, again, something that your company is, uh, is also doing. And while you talk about entrepreneurship, what I see or how I notice it, that if you backtrack 30 years ago or 50 years ago, there was a very simple philosophy for an entrepreneur. Find an industry, produce a product, calculate the margins, and just simply get started. But now entrepreneurship has become a bit led. I mean, there are so many things that you need to learn. And most importantly, one needs to learn on uh, speaking in public that you spoke about um, and also being presentable as a whole. So what I want to ask you is that how important do you think that right now in the times of COVID, personal branding has become important for entrepreneurs in evolving their skills and at the same time selling their business and also being presentable? What do you, how do you view personal branding in today's uh, circumstances? Hmm. Well, the first thing I'd say is that entrepreneurship is about the three C's, customers, costs, and cash flow. Mm. Um, but also that many entrepreneurs have a certain personal brand. Think about Richard Branson. What's the mm. first thing that comes to mind? Okay. What's the first thing that comes to mind when you think of Elon Musk? Yeah, yeah and, and you know he's cultivated that with his outrageous tweets and yep. you know, yep. telling the uh, Securities and Exchange Commission that he's going to take the company private and then backtracking. You know, all and, that sort the, of stuff. and the recent one, finding it, creating a tequila out of, out of Tesla. There's one other thing that he yes. did. <laughs> uh, you know, there's, there's lots of crazy stuff. And, and to some extent, you know, we might think he's crazy, but it's possibly all part of that branding uh, effort that he wants to be known as a, a bit of a, a bit of a maverick here in Southeast Asia. Perhaps one of the the best personal branders is that uh, of Tony Fernandez, uh, the chief executive of AirAsia, uh, who was always sporting his red AirAsia cap whenever he appeared anywhere in public. Uh, to some extent, your personal brand is not something that you can cultivate on its own, um, meaning to say that you invent it out of thin air. Often people discover their personal brand based on who they already are. And this is the critical insight. If you already are, let's say somebody who is known for their honesty, sincerity, and candor. In other words, you're known to be walking the talk. You're known to be of high integrity. Then building that personal brand rests on how you're already wired. You know, you can't invent a persona around honesty, credibility, and candor, if you are not honest, credible, and, and, and you know, tell it like it is, walk the talk, be accountable. Mm. So the first step to, to this is to discover what your own wiring is. How are you naturally? And, and then fine-tuning fine that and investing in that to build on who you already are so that you become the best version of yourself not to become someone else. So personal branding... There's no way, for example, Arinjai, you and I are highly unlikely to become Elon Musk. Yeah. Uh, you're, you're too much of a nice guy. Yep. 
So the way that Elon Musk has, uh, you know, cultivated his uh, his persona, you know, pe people say, oh, it's because he's South African. Well, actually, so am I. But there's no way that I would ever become like Elon Musk. I'm not wired for it. Right. I don't need to become Elon Musk. You don't need to become Elon Musk. You don't need to become Steve Jobs, Tim Cook, uh, Satya Nadella. Pick any of the famous names, you know, Jeff Bezos. You don't need to become Boris Johnson. We both have better hair. Um, <laughs> But, um, but to, we, we simply cannot pretend to be that. So tap into who you really are and work on how you fine tune that and sharpen that so that, as I said, you become the best version of who you already are. But don't you think that it's going to be really, really hard to find yourself? So how do you do that? I mean, this day and age that we are living in, it's full of influencing, like, uh, you need to do this, you need to do that. And in these circumstances, you tend to forget who you really are. So how do you do it? How do you build that brand from within you? Hmm. Well, actually, I'd say it is very easy to find out who you really are. The difficulty or the, the challenges to invest in that in a way that you, as I keep saying, you become the best version. Um, the methodology that I've adopted is that of Clifton Strengths which I mentioned earlier, Gallup Strengths Finder is what it used right, to be right. called. Mm -hmm. and, and in essence, it is a, an assessment that presents you with a number of scenarios. And then you respond simply by saying, would you react like this or like that in that particular scenario? Based on that, you then receive a report which really holds a mirror up to you about who you really are. And it's very interesting watching people's reactions because on occasion, they look at that report and say, oh, gee, I didn't know I was like that. I don't think I'm like that. And then a few days later, they, they call you back and say, actually, you know, I've thought about it. And yeah, if I had to be honest with myself, actually, I am exactly like it says on the report. <laughs> uh, because the report can't invent things. It's, it's simply a reflection of the hopefully honest and top of mind responses that you gave during the assessment. Armed with this report, let me give you two examples of the sorts of things that people then usually discover. Uh, let's take, for example, um, responsibility. Responsibility is one of the 34 criteria that a Clifton Strengths Assessment will show you whether you are or how, a lot, how much you are, whether it is something that responsibility constantly plays on your mind or perhaps is subordinated under other talents. People with a strong responsibility talent tend to, like I said earlier, you know, hold themselves to account. They walk the talk. They can't sleep at night if they've let somebody down. An awesome talent. And so if you then have this talent, um, you can't all of a sudden become someone who doesn't care about their actions, who doesn't uh, you know, walk the talk. Somebody who is very happy to let other people down and not lose any sleep on it. You just can't. We're wired like that from a very young age. We're, we tend to be wired like that by the time we're 15 or 16. Our synapses are linked and it's highly unlikely that you will go from somebody who is very responsible to somebody who isn't. Um, it's, it, it's a physical thing in your head. You, you cannot change the, the, the wiring. What you can say is, how do I now accentuate that? How do I now create a reputation around that? The second talent that I... The second talent that I wanted to offer uh, was about um, uh, a, a talent called harmony. 
harmony uh, sounds very nice, but is actually a talent for being dispassionate, for seeking consensus rather than being swayed by emotion. People with a strong harmony talent tend to be very practical. Again, this is a wiring. This is not a decision that they make. And one day to the next, they decide whether or not they're going to be, you know, looking for consensus, be practical. And the next day they decide to ditch those. Mm. It's a way of thinking. It's a way of reaching outcomes. And so once again, the question is not how do I, you know, become a bit more emotional uh, or, you know, take emotional, emotive views into account. It's to say, how do I make sure that I am the best possible consensus maker? How do I build my skills and knowledge so that because I'm so practical, I can really turn that practical mindset into action? And that's how the brand is built. You know, a personal brand is a promise constantly delivered. Mm -hmm. You are who you say you are and you are consistently that person. That's how you build your personal brand. That's, that's very well said about it. And um, well, talking about personal branding and again about entrepreneurship and communication, oftentimes you spoke about this earlier when we had a conversation that there has been cases that because of so many communication barriers, I'd say in a world of so much information of oversharing, oftentimes a lot of businesses and a lot of entrepreneurs don't get their right message across like what type of service or what type of product they are trying to sell. And that also leads them in not getting paid for what they are doing. And you spoke about this. So in simple terms, the question that I want to ask is that from a communication expert, how can entrepreneurs get paid and reduce the communication barrier that exists in today's society or in today's digital world? Mm -hmm. Well, two halves uh, to, to answer that. The first is, how are you yourself wired? Um, and from a communications perspective, what that means in, in practice is that there are certain strengths that you can bring to the table in terms of how you speak, how you mm. communicate that message, right? To your first point about people not being able to communicate their message crisply. If you, let's say, have a strong intellection talent, that is, you're very good at thinking deeply about things. The risk is, that while this is, a, an, again, a, a wonderful talent, uh, people who have an intellection talent really have given stuff a lot of thought. I mean, they really know the ins and outs of a subject and can offer a very carefully considered opinion, a very valuable opinion because of uh, their depth of thinking. But sometimes this also works against you. Too much of a good thing. Yeah. yeah. Um, where you are so busy intellectualizing and musing and contemplating and uh, discussing and considering that your thoughts are all a little bit muddled. Yeah. So what's important then is to say, what other talents do I have that I can use in order to become a crisper, clearer communicator? And that's obviously where the coaching comes in. Now, to the second point about getting paid on time, um, you know, the big myth is that customers deliberately withhold your payment. The big myth is that when a customer doesn't pay, it's the customer's fault. And the third big myth is that technology will solve all of these problems. So back to the first one, when the customer doesn't pay you, uh, there may very well be customers who decide to hold over a payment 
For example, here we are in this podcast, we're speaking just before Diwali. You've got holidays coming up. You know, if you've got an invoice due on Friday the 13th of November, because that's the day before Diwali, what's the bet? Some of your customers will decide, you know what, I'm not going to make this payment on Friday the 13th because he's going to be out of the office anyway. He won't even notice whether the money comes in or not. I'll just pay it a week later. And customers don't go out of their way to maliciously withhold cash. They'll just find excuses that they can live with. They will rationalize to themselves that actually that payment doesn't need to be made on time. They'll feel perfectly fine with that. Basically procrastinate so, about it. Yeah, and, and finding, as I said, reasons that they can live with, that they can have a good conscience about. <laughs> uh, well, because after all, you know, Diwali, I didn't invent Diwali. It's, uh, it's kind of come around. I'll just pay a week later. Which leads me to the second point, and that is that you can't influence the customer. The way to communicate the, with the customer is in such a way that they run out of good reasons that they can be comfortable with, that they run out of excuses such as, oh, I won't pay my invoice by the 13th of November because Diwali is on the 14th. They, in essence, you build a relationship through communication to such an extent, clarity around your payment terms, clarity around when the payment is due, but also clarity if there is something wrong with the product or the service, or maybe you, you've made a mistake in the invoice, so that the customer simply has not only no excuse but to pay you by the due date, but actually wants to pay you by the due date. So that all of that depends on how you communicate with the customer before, during, and after the transaction. And that leads me to the third point. So, so far I've covered uh, the, the myth that customers deliberately withhold money. They don't, they just find comfortable excuses. Second, the myth that customers can't be influenced, that it's, all, you know, it's always the customer's fault. Actually, most of the time it is because there was a problem with your product or service or a discrepancy in the invoice that afforded your customer an excuse. You made a mistake in the invoice. The customer exploits that mistake. That's all it is. It's your fault, not the customer's fault, that you made a mistake in the invoice. And that leads me to the third point about technology. You know, these days you find any number of fintechs that offer to um, factor your invoice, right? You, you kind of, you, you have an invoice for uh, 100,000 rupees. Um, you then hand that invoice to somebody else to collect you immediately get 80,000 rupees. The last mm -hmm. 20,000 is collected by the person who's actually, who you sold your invoice to. Mm -hmm. You know, there's any number of these fintechs, there's any number of accounting software providers and all those sort of people who, who say things like, you know, do your books on our software platform and you'll get paid faster. Actually, this is not a technology issue. This is a communication issue. There's no technology in the world that will force your customer to pay. There is no algorithm, no app that, that takes money out of your customer's account and puts it into yours without their permission. And that's exactly how it should be. So the point is that no technology solution will get you paid faster. Because at the end of the day, there is still a human being that decides using discretionary reasoning when they're going to click pay 
on their internet banking portal or when they're going to put pen to paper and write you that check or whatever the payment methodology is. It's still a human being making a discretionary decision. Oh, Diwali is coming up. I'll just defer the payment by a week, right? No accounting software is going to force them to pay by Friday the 13th of November. So that's why communications are so important. First, to understand why the customer isn't paying, and it's usually not out of malice, it's, a, it's out of an excuse. Second, to communicate with the customer in a way that you find out before the invoice is due as to whether there are any discrepancies, any errors, any problem with the product or service. And communications is key so that they do trigger the payment on time and no amount of email reminders or, or accounting software or whatever is going to change that. Mm. That's, that's some really interesting points that you talk about. And while you say this, it just brings me down to, to the last question of this podcast that again, I'd like to ask is, um, I think but we spoke about this personal branding, uh, communication, all of these things are now, I guess, more upcoming uh, for the young uh, graduates as well. And also to the entrepreneurs who are setting a foot in this industry. So before we end off, like uh, in the previous question, you gave out the three key points that will really, really elaborate on how one can get paid. To end off, I'd like to know your three key advices that you'd like to give to the young listeners who are graduating from schools, who are graduating from colleges, no matter their age. On first, starting early. And second thing, understanding and finding themselves so that at a very early age, they can develop a personal brand instead of getting haywired when they are, let's say, finding a job or starting, of, uh, starting something of their own. Three key advices that you like to give out. Yeah. Well, you've, uh, you've hit the nail on the head in terms of finding yourself. Uh, and quite honestly, I wish I had done uh, my Clifton Strengths assessment when I was in my 20s. When I was your age. I was about to say that. <laughs> that's when I should have done For me. It. Yeah. Um, meantime, 24 million people have taken this assessment. Yeah. And, uh, you know, if you get to know yourself much earlier in life, knowing how you're wired and liking yourself for it, you know, the fact is that we can't change our, how we're wired anyway. So accept yourself for who you are. Then you have a much greater opportunity to build on that and say, well, given how I am now, how do I build on that? Don't sweat it. If you, you know, you get your Clifton Strengths report and then it, it says something like, oh, you know, your strategic talent is uh, number 29 and your communications talent is at number 33. It doesn't matter. These are all routes to a destination. Focus on where, what you are good at and, and build on that. You know, it, it's like in a school context. If you were, let's say, uh, great at maths at school, but you were very poor at foreign languages. Traditionally, your parents possibly organized a language tutor for you. So, you know, kind of boost your language scores to kind of catch up with your math scores. But quite honestly, you were never ever going to become a linguist. Mm -hmm. Imagine if you invested in a maths tutor, you might think, well, but I'm already good at maths. Yes, but if you had a maths tutor, then perhaps you can go much further in life on your math skills. And you know, by the age of 15, you go to uh, a mathematics degree at Harvard, or you know, something you're far ahead of your years. And by the time you're 29, you get the Nobel Prize for mathematics. And when you do, 
nobody will care about your language scores. So better to invest in the things where you already have a head start, play to your strengths, and do so at an early stage in your career. Get to know who you are, like yourself for it, build on that. And then when you live your strengths every day, then you have a much greater chance at job satisfaction, happiness in relationships. And yes, you'll be very clear about who you are and who you are not, and are therefore much better able to define a brand for yourself. Right. The way your mind, your, the way your brain works is the route to the destination. It isn't the destination. Mm. So that's an important differentiator because let's say we talk about meeting people, right? Which at your age clearly is a, is a priority for you. Maybe it's to find a life partner. Perhaps it is just to socialize with your friends from school, whatever it is. If you, if you take as the goal to, uh, to learn more about, about life, you know, be open, as you said, some people have a real wiring for learning. You know, you probably have some school friends who spend until, you know, spend their twenties still at school while your friends are already working. They're still yep. studying. Mm -hmm. You know, chances are they have a learner talent as it's called. They're actually wired for it. They love to learn. Mm -hmm. Other people, you know, in terms of when it comes to being open-minded and open to the world, other people have a connectedness talent. They see a connection between all human uh, or people, all ideas, uh, perhaps all life on the planet. So they're open for very different reasons. They're not open because they want to learn. They're open because they feel that there is a connection. There's no, co no such thing as a coincidence. Mm, right. other, people, other people meet people and are open because of what's called a woo talent. They like to win others over, hence yeah. woo. And, you know, they're social butterflies. Once again, they're open to the world, but using very different talents. So the bottom line is, no matter what talents you have, you do have an opportunity to develop yourself. You have an opportunity to become virtually anything you set your mind to. What's important is to play to your strengths so that you're not trying to rewire your brain. Mm -hmm. You're fully living out who you truly are and making no apology for it. Right. Well, that's very well said, Mark. And uh, by, saying that, by saying that, I think we've come down to the end of this podcast. And I really, really enjoyed this conversation that we had. And also, it was my pleasure in learning more about this media industry that I always dream and I'll keep on dreaming and working in. Thank you so much for joining me. My pleasure. For more stories like this that talk about brand building and most importantly, finding yourself within you, stay tuned as I bring more episodes on this channel. Once again, I'd like to thank you for giving me your time and I hope to see you again on this Bonspot Show.